Welcome to Rehydrate, the season we're reading and discussing Becky Chambers' The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. It's book one of the Wayfarer series, and this is season two, episode four, Kedrium, where we'll be discussing the chapters Kedrium and also Hatch, Feather, and House. Uh, the hosts are new to this book and series, and we've only read through this chapter, so we're all going into this blind. I'm Jim. Hi, I'm Dan. This is Tim. This is Amin. In this couple of chapters, an Iluan ship transporting sensitive cargo sends a distress signal to the Wayfarer. It turns out to be Pei's ship, who is Ashby's secret girlfriend. It was damaged by a disruptor mine placed on the ship. Lovey, the ship's AI, notices that the Iluan crew does not have the correct patches when they board the Wayfarer, but Tizzy waves them through anyway. And while uh, she's repairing the Eluan ship, Tizzy discovers that it is still rigged with quite a few Kedrium mines. Uh, realizing that she and Jenks and the Eluan crew member aboard the Eluan ship may be doomed, even if they try to run, she attempts to disarm the mines. When she does so, she realizes that they're fairly primitive, and she does successfully disarm them. Uh, Rosemary learns from Nib, the guy they met uh, on the sort of the salvage planet there, and he is she learns from him. He's an editor of like uh, their space Wikipedia, and she learns that the Toremi are pattern obsessed, and they cannot tolerate disagreement or contradiction. And then the crew stops by Sissix's home planet to meet her Hatch family. Rosemary observes Sissix in her native environment and realizes the social sacrifices Sissix has made to be on the Wayfarer. And for this reason, and her own attraction, she offers to have sex with Sissix. And that pretty much closes that out. Well, what what were your impressions? So I'll have to say, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't a big fan of these these chapters. I'm starting to... Like wonder if the story's gonna go anywhere or we're just gonna start keep getting like these stories of the week. Uh them going to this planet, going to this thing, doing this adventure. Like the part where she took around the took out the mines, like there's no consequence to that. It's like, all right, cool, we did it. See ya. And then we're gonna go to the next adventure to Sizzix's planet, right? And then uh, like I don't know. It's that there there's a lot of wheel spinning, I think, it's happening. We're already like halfway through the book. And there's still just world building happening and talking about this or that. So I don't know. Yeah. So I, I thought something similar, but uh, I think I looked at the reading list. I think there might only be like three chapters left or four chapters left. Well, we have two two more episodes left. No, there's, 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 there's like eight chapters left, but there, there should, yeah, the, yeah, these are just like exceptionally long chapters, but um yeah, so I mean, you know, we'll probably next few episodes will probably be four chapters a piece, but but yeah, I, I yeah, I actually agree with you, Dan. Like as much as I've like kind of liked the world building so far, it does feel like okay, come on, we need some plot here. You know, it's just this kind of like kind of world, you know, like this has just been the basically a tour of the the ver the various aliens, um, you know, who all happen to be along their way, um, right, you know, yeah, on the way right. to this planet. Yeah, so it's like some land happens to be along the way, like in the vast expanse of space, and like, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like a again, it's you know, kind of RPG side quest, like, and that you're just kind of getting this tour of you know these you know various alien races and uh, 
and all the wonderful things they can teach us humans, you know. And I didn't I didn't take great notes this week, but I do remember I think I remember this part and it goes back to what Dan was saying about there being no consequences is when Kizzy had to go she had to go disarm all the mines or whatever, they had the scene where Corbin came into the room and it was in a huff because there weren't any text to help with anything. And then it turns out that Jenks is sitting over there sorting screws because trying to take his mind <laughs> off of stuff instead of doing whatever it was that Corbin needed done. So clearly it was just, let's just have this crotchety old man come in and be crotchety for, again, with no consequence and no real reason other than, oh, just a reminder that he's crotchety. Yeah, and I'm, I'm starting to uh, sympathize with uh, Corbin here. Yeah, I was also thinking, like, why isn't his character, like, he was the first person we were introduced to in the book, basically, right? Like, he is the he came into the into his office and started getting mad. Like, he hasn't been fleshed out at all. We should hear, you know, like, he's you know, he's coming, he's been, like, the, the guy on the side a couple of times. He's made, like, snide comments or whatever, but we haven't heard anything more about him. I think Tim mentioned some meta information about him. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I think that... Uh... Yeah, there's like this middle middle story doldrum kind of thing happening here. Yeah. And I, I feel like my, my guess is that she is saving stuff with him for the end so that you'll be like, wow, it, you know, I thought this, but actually this or something like that. Yeah, I did, I did read a review. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's 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 where I'm getting this. That's the basis of my guess. Yeah. Yeah, they, they does have some character turn at some point. Yeah, it would have been nice if, like, something happened because of the mind stuff, you know? Like, I, you know, we don't need to kill characters or anything, but, like, maybe their ship was damaged, you know? One of the mines blew up and it, you know, caused some problem for, for the Wayfarer. Something, right? Like, cool, we did it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it was just a reason to get the them reunited or, you know, to meet with pay, I guess. I'm also surprised that at the very beginning of that chapter, like it starts out with uh, Kizzy and her, you know, kind of mild trauma from the whole like encounter with the Akarax. And then like suddenly yet another ship pings, you know, and yes, it's a distress signal, but she just like kind of like welcomes them aboard immediately. Like there's like absolutely no like hesitation or like caution this time. Despite having, you know, you know, this encounter with the Akarax that they just got, you know, she. Yeah. Like she, she, I think there's an offhand comment that she mentions like, oh, but they're in distress. That's probably okay. Not yeah. that like, not that anyone would ever get yeah. like a distress signal. Yeah, no, yeah, no. <laughs> but just, oh, like, like she's in the midst, like in the midst of like, you know, this kind of bit of uh, trauma about the Akarak thing. And then just yet another ship comes along and hey, welcome aboard. You know, I, w- I wonder if there's some sort of setup that happened here. Because uh, there, there's like that one detail that was mentioned that was never brought up again. And, and it could be like a loose end or something like that. But when they were scanned, they weren't all who they said they were, right? They're, they're supposed to, I think, I think the, the AI said that they're supposed to be four civilians and two military, but all I have are six civilians here. And then I think Kizzy was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> and just kind of waving through. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do wonder if that'll come up later. Yeah, I do still feel like pay is being like set up to like, I mean, not at at first in a past episode, I kind of speculated she might turn on or, you know, but I turn on them in some way or become some sort of locus of conflict or something. But I do think she's like being set up to like cause them trouble or they're, you know, in some 
in some fashion down the road. Down the road, it's always that's that's always a promise of these books. This this book so far, it's like oh, you know, yeah. in the future, like this is going to be awesome, right? Like they're going to do this stuff. But it's like we're four sixths of the way through the book, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I will, I will say this though, like uh, the whole Game of Thrones, uh, Song of Ice and Fire thing. I mean, it, it could go on for quite a well. I don't know. This is a series, right? So yeah, this could the same thing could happen, right? Where things are set up and just never resolved, book after book after book. Um, Maybe. Yeah. So, so, so you might be right. But I, I do think, you know, this my, my speculation is that was that was mentioned because two of the Eluan crew were actually replaced by, you know, some kind of mysterious sleeper agents or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they don't scan, right? Hmm. I always I took it as just like they're they're like, you know, a militaristic race of, you know, super spies or whatever. So they have fake identities to fake AIs or whatever. Like I took it as that, not not some bigger plot, but maybe. Yeah, I don't have anything to back that up. Yeah, because Pay Pay is always like talking she's always talking about how much of a badass she is and like she's able to like go to these different planets and kill these people or whatever. So like I just take it as their race or you know, maybe not their race, but like the people she deals with are more in that government kind of super soldier kind of Well they're they're like I mean they say they're courier but they you know they they seem like they're not quite yeah. above above board, definitely. Uh, sm- you know, smugglers well, or yeah, something like that. They're, yeah. They're, yeah, they seem like smugglers that do dangerous things that involve like having to like fight people and things like that. But yeah, I, I it's just like the that's a that's a weird thing to write a paragraph about and then not say anything about again. You know, yeah. ever again. So that's my guess there. I did like the the difference in the ship technology though. That was pretty cool. Like the like how how the wayfarers are sort of like put together from spare parts and it's really like utilitarian and and stark and then they go into the the other ship and it's like pure white with like lights over the place and they have like the the walls you can touch it and they kind of fade away and that was cool also weird i think we'd mentioned this before that like the technology is sort of interchangeable that like kids can go over there and be like oh i can fix this no problem <laughs> yeah you know what would actually happen on a ship like that is it's just like well you need to go to the specific store to get yeah. the specific thing. And and you can't just replace just the battery. <laughs> you have to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, these parts I picked up in my quest, I, they, they should fit into here. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. We could talk more about the ship, but the the little bit, uh, the email or whatever it was from uh, Nib uh, about her, uh, Roseberry's request to find out about the Taremi made me think like, there, this is a world where there's like a universally vetted source of news. So yeah, I I think that's that's interesting in that they don't they don't have like our our current dystopic thing where everybody gets their own news where it's just like <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, the Taremi are all pedophiles or something like that, and they they operate out of a pizza shop and you know that kind of thing. Um, so so she's able to like count on that kind of information. The book probably doesn't go into it, but it's interesting to think about, like, what would incentivize the GC or whoever to be like, well, I'm, we're going to make sure that only things that have been vetted go through our, our method of distribution to get things to other people. Or or then again, maybe I'm wrong. And like, you know, Rosemary reads her own whatever Wikipedia, and then there's like all these other competing sources of information or something like that. I don't know. I I think I'm giving the impression that I don't like this book 
I think from this thing, but like, I don't think that's true. I don't think I'm just like ready for it to stop the world building and start the plot. You know, <laughs> like there's like a, there's like a plot that, you know, it's kind of loosely like, Hey, we're going to go to this planet. Right. And like, maybe that's the point, right? Maybe you're supposed to be like, they talked a lot about the ship, the crew being susceptible to the long, uh, long journey and, you know, that, that being a thing. And so like, maybe they're putting the reader to that too. Like, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Make you feel that. Uh... <laughs> right. But like, I don't know. It's, it does seem like adventure of the week, you know, they go to the, they, they go to the bug planet and then cool. Nothing here from that. And then we go to the, and then we have the attack and nothing from that. And then we have the mind, nothing from that. And then we go to Sisyphus planet and like nothing really from that. So. The thing I wonder is this is a kickstarted book. She almost got a deal and then the deal fell through. And then she just went through with like a Kickstarter to get it out. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a consequence of not going through an editor. You don't think she went through an editor though? Even Kickstarted would be made. Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, it so, still gets published at some point. So. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's there's two possibilities, I guess. There's two opportunities for editing. One, uh, she kickstarts it and she pays someone to edit it or, or someone edits, ed edits it for free. But I mean, there's also the possibility that like the Kickstarter is pretty lean. So the, the Kickstarter is all about paying for, you know, rent and stuff for a couple months and then getting the books printed. And then later it did get picked up to get published and there could have gone through another phase of editing. But I do wonder if they were like, well, okay, people seem to like this and it went out. So, and then like the publisher was just like, let's just put it out like this. I'll look it up for next episode. I mean, again, there's no 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 shortage of uh, fantasy and sci-fi series that uh, endlessly spin their wheels. Um, you know, so, and nevertheless, sell gangbusters anyway. So, I mean, I read I read eleven out of eleven out of twelve of Wheel, Wheel of Time books, and there's whole seven hundred page books there where it's just this stuff. <laughs> you gave you gave up on it after eleven books. Yeah, yep. literally, literally read the twelve. Did you at least look up the ending on Wikipedia or something? No, because I told myself one of these days I'm going to finish it. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't officially given up yet? No. Uh, okay. Even if I hate something, I'll like, and I've gone that far in it. I'll just, yeah, I know. I'll just like just finish it. Like you know, I've put this much time into it. Uh, there's been plenty of TV shows where I've stopped liking it, but like, well, I've watched this much. So I got to just finish it. I, I actually wish that I more often did the quit and read Wikipedia thing. Like I, I so Philip K. Dick, who is like a really good author generally, but he had this one trilogy that he wrote after um, he'd been on like a lot of drugs and he had some vision about God and he, he wrote a trilogy. And like at the end of the first book, I was like, well, that didn't make any sense, but there's two more books. So then, yeah, predictably, I just, I, I just kept reading. And then I got all the way to the last book. I was like, ah, oh, I should not have done that. time. <laughs> I should have like uh, looked at Wikipedia and saw what happened. I also wonder if we would be uh, this critical if we didn't stop to discuss after these two chapters, because because we haven't read this, we can't really say what's in every chapter and what makes for interesting discussion. So we just picked these two chapters as the thing for this show, but. What if, what if like the next chapter is very eventful and then we pick these three? I, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, we might feel similarly like while we're, we'll, we'd feel the same while we're reading it, but we might not uh, say that in a podcast because like those two chapters would be wiped out by uh, whatever happens next. When you're reading it, you're not reading it straight through, you know, probably. You're not going to like sit down and read the whole book in one go, right? You're going to take it, you know, chunk by chunk, right? So 
I think. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, so what I did here was I, I think I read these pretty quickly, like in the course of like one day or so, like one, one evening or something like that. And right. then I was going to, I was actually going to keep reading to see if more stuff happened, but I was like, oh no, that, that's the end of the thing. It's going to yeah. ruin the concept of the podcast if I keep reading. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I would have kept reading normally and it would be like more yeah. like a stream, right? Uh, like a a stream of stuff, right? And, and you know, I'd, I'd feel like, well, that was that was kind of boring. That's kind of boring. But, uh, but I, I would might you not keep have... reading? Like, I don't know. I've I've definitely yeah, the it reminds me of reading like what was the the Feast for Crows, the the fourth book in the Song of Ice and Fire, where it's just, like so boring. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like ah, yeah. I don't. Even, and then it it took me forever to read it because like it was just boring. Really? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think I guess. So, so these were so these were these were boring, but they weren't like hard to read. You know what I mean? Whereas, yeah, yeah. Feast for Crows like makes you want to just stop. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's because it, well, because it shifts focus to you know different character. You know, like yeah. you know character. Okay, new characters now that like are just in this character. You know, yeah, like just for this chapter. I mean, at least this is still like. I mean, this isn't nearly as egregious as you know Feast for Crows to me because this is. Uh, you know, you're still dealing with the same character. You're still getting character development and all that. But, yeah. uh, and, and again, like, you know, books like this, like this, all of this might land differently if like, you know, you heard about this trilogy or so and you had bought the trilogy and you were just settling down to read this and you understood that this was like a trilogy spanning story. All of this would like land differently, I think, for you than if you were doing what we're doing right now, just kind of reading this as a standalone novel at the moment and going small chunk by small chunk. The, the yeah. other thing I, yeah, and I, I agree. And I, I think the other thing I have to admit is like when, when I'm normally reading something and it's not super interesting, I, I go into like a quasi skim mode. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes I will back up like, Oh, why, why did that happen? <laughs> I'll go back and reread. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do that uh, as well. <laughs> I actually have like a, a bad habit maybe of like, like things like I remember reading Feast for Crows and I just kept, I read a lot every time I read it because I was just like, well, something good has to happen. Something interesting. <laughs> I would just keep on reading until like, I felt like I, I had quote won the reading session or something like that. And, and you know, I, I never did. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, these, these are not the greatest chapters I think, but yeah. And, and that's, that's how I, that's kind of how I, I I read it all in in one sitting as well, and that's kind of the second chapter that we that we had to read. I kind of read that way as well, just kind of skim through it, and uh-huh. yeah, I, I understand it's it's character development and it's it's bringing the the family found family closer together, but yeah, it did not advance the plot. And but again, this could all just be uh, a great setup for some some huge thing that's going to happen. So I'm. I, I think what Jim was saying is right. If if we would have read more, we might have felt differently about these two chapters. But on their own, they are not the most exciting chapters, I'll say. I think they're well written, and you know, and like maybe it's all in the service of just like letting you know the characters more. It just doesn't drive the plot forward. I don't even know what the plot is, right? Like they're just going on this journey to this planet, and like the I don't know, and like there's a little bit of information about the the planet they're going to. Um, I don't know, it's like the the Simpsons thing where they they were like, "Why don't we get into the fireworks factory?" <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think they're yeah. I think she's trying to build the characters 
so that when when they do get to the fireworks <laughs> factory, you'll be like, oh, this is why this person reacted to to this and uh, that sort of thing. But it's it's questionable whether or not they needed to be this long. I'm not a professional editor, so I'm just gonna say what, I, what I'm about to say is probably not uh, what a real editor would say. But like, yeah, I feel like I feel like these could these chapters could be like half the size or something like that, or or maybe maybe all together all get together excised except for the bit about the Taremi and maybe maybe the thing with the two Eluan not having the correct identification. Yeah, I said this about the three-body problem and, like, whatever, millions of people disagree, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we don't get quite as much out of this as as uh, maybe some other other readers who are, are actually into, like, um, what you could call episodic. Uh, what, what would happen if these characters ran into this kind of thing? Which, which sometimes I do like, but, you know, I don't have that hunger for that right now, I guess. You know, for example, in this second chapter, I think she's just very, very interested in, like, or just assumes the reader is very, very interested in the, uh, like, the Andrisk family structure and, you know, like, fleshing out the the alien races um, and, like, giving you this big, you know, you know, slice of life chapter. Yeah, I mean, just stuff like that is just going to land differently for different people. I, I, I can I, I obviously see a certain, you know, a certain type of reader who's, like, here for... Here, here, show me an alternate, you know, show me an alternate alien way of life. And, and that's interesting to me, you know, to, you know, that, that becomes food for thought about the way humans, you know, uh, you approach family and all, you know, it seems to like, it seems to be a big concern of hers. If you're just kind of like looking for a plot driven thing, like I can see how this might be. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm into that too. I'm into the, all the world building stuff. It's just like, at some point, like, all right, we get it. Like, yeah. You know, like kind of, kind of folded yeah. into into more more consequential events. Like maybe that's the thing is like none of these events have any consequence, right? These two chapters in particular, although like yeah, some characters are dying, some characters are yeah belong to a dying race. So I feel like consequences are around the corner. You know, like the the Andrus chapter here. You know, it seems like the sort of thing where in other series, like that's the sort of thing you would like finally get to in like the second book or something like that. Like, ooh, finally we're gonna see. You know, we're the, yeah, we've been building yeah. them up, and then like we've um, we're finally gonna see the Andrus home world in, in in the middle of uh, book two or something like that. So, it, like, it feels like there's just like kind of like a lot. Like she's just like checking off the boxes of world building like almost a little just a little too fast like it's just a little too front loaded you know and just like just needs to be more plot like interspersed within these you know right right this is a very minor thing but i did like how dinosaurs are known throughout the universe (laughs) (laughs) with everything else going on in the entire universe somehow dinosaurs dinosaurs made the made the list it's too cool uh yeah the uh also I think the concept of dinosaurs. Well, so the Andrus are sort of lizard-like, but they they have feathers, right? So they're yeah. they're also bird-like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was I was gonna make a pedantic comment, but uh, I don't think it applies here. The because um, oh. yeah, dinosaurs are birds, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. like the the new thing. They're they're not actually lizards, but well, they were yeah. much more fe- they were much more feathered than we. Yeah, yeah they're they're very bird-like. Uh, more bird-like than lizard-like is is the current way the paleontology uh, pendulum. That. Yeah, if you, you I'm not up on my dinosaur. Child, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think this has been this way for a while, though. I do remember hearing something about yeah feathers yeah. and stuff, but like I guess I've never been super into dinosaurs, so I never 
followed up on it. <laughs> yeah, I think Bill Watterson, when in his uh, Calvin and Hobbes 10th anniversary book, which was way back from like 1990 something, was writing, like he, he commented on his early dinosaur drawings and he's like, oh yeah, now we know that they're not lizard-like like this, so hmm. uh, this is all wrong. Now I, now I draw them more cool like. But the most interesting part to me of these these two chapters was, or I guess the two most interesting things was the tech on the ship, on the 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 Eloan ship, and then the the description of the Chermika again, you know, talking about like their the, the, their stuff with patterns and that kind of stuff. So like it's like the promise of of cool things to come. Uh, like they're still the more, most interesting race to me, mostly because I guess because they're unknown and like that's the point of it. I don't know. Those are the two most everything like could have been summed up in like a paragraph or two for me for the rest of it <laughs> or combined with like, you know, maybe like they could have split up when they're on the bug planet or maybe the bug planet is also the, the Sisek planet, whatever, like, <laughs> you know, like it's just, yeah, yeah. Too, too much uh, world building. I, I, I do uh, think it's interesting that they, they have, it's an, it's actually an alien race with a different way of thinking uh, rather yeah. than just being extremely human-like. Uh, that actually uh, somehow managed to get to sort of an advanced state while also apparently not tolerating any dissent. Sort of like um, the dudes from the three body problems, the Trisolarans in a way, mm. right? They, they, just, uh, they just seem to have this thing where they, they literally physically or physiologically can't tolerate when somebody thinks something different from them. And I, I guess that's why the Taremi Ka are a big deal because they're a big, big splinter. Uh, of the Taremi. Hmm. Hopefully, hopefully they're not going. Hopefully, we're going to get to it, right? Is this... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also wonder if, um, yeah, this wasn't written episodically. I wonder if a lot of people, because they are so into uh, all these things that I'm not into, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and things like that, actually crave just more of this. Let's just go to a random planet and uh, encounter some NPCs and monsters and whatever and then leave and then do the next thing because if you have like a comic mindset i think that's i think that's just uh something you you're trained to expect and uh, actually seek out i remember reading um lone wolf and cub have, have you guys heard of that the yeah this oh, samurai only, only from well it's 28 books and i, I read <laughs> it all and, and there's basically one plot which is dude needs to get revenge against the the clan that uh, set up his uh, uh, getting fired as the executioner and like killing his wife. So, so they do that. Yeah. So that's that's twenty eight books, and like each book is uh, comprised of like roughly four four to six comic books. So that's that's quite a few things, and like the plot comes into play like at the last like I don't know ten percent, and then like there's like a few maybe somewhere in the middle the plot comes up but mostly it's him like taking missions just like okay you have to kill this guy well he's i don't know he's a master of using the chain and another chain or you know a sickle or some other kind of weapon or etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and it's just tons of that and mm. I, I don't know if i could read that now but at the time i was into it it's like cool drawings of people fighting <laughs> <laughs> It's like those Aria Salvatore uh, Forgotten Realms books with Drizzt. You know, oh, yeah. It's just like like whole chapters of just like uh, 
sword fight, fight you know like like yeah. uh cool dual wielding sword fights and like yeah when you're like 14 like it's awesome well i think I, I yeah i read i read as a young adult i read like lone wolf and cub but yeah i, I think it maybe at different stages of your life have you have different appetite for uh different kinds of stories perhaps well g- given what i know of like uh well, again, going back to uh, like Mass Effect and RPGs, that there's there's definitely a whole big audience for uh, romance with aliens. So uh, I'm sure the second <laughs> she's she's offering two kinds of romance with aliens. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's really delivering yeah. here. Yeah, I would say I, I didn't see that coming. No, uh... <laughs> no, no, they got off to it. Yeah, usually usually you got to go through some. Go yeah. through some more dialogue trees, uh, dialogue trees, and like excitement. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot yeah. of dangerous side quests before you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean that. That's still. I don't know, it's like I don't, I don't, I don't mind that. It's not like, it's not like uh, not like the the AI thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. You know, but, I'm not, the, I'm not, the, I'm not like invested in that relationship. But it's like, yeah. all right. I think that the AI thing uh is, is like is is sort of threatening in a way. <laughs> Yeah, that's the good thing about this chapter is we didn't get any of that. I think there's like one mention of I think Ashley was saying like, "Oh, Jinx can be mad about the AI or something," but that was it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you. It's it's sort of interesting. It, like it, it creates a, like a reader tension where like. You're kind of <laughs> <afraid>. <laughs> like oh yeah, every time the AI dies, like oh no. Yeah, oh, you know who knows? Uh, again, like we haven't read the whole thing. Maybe it could be addressed somehow, but. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is it is a thing that was designed to to run a ship. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's not like his plot is, uh, you know, I'm just going to release you and you you go by yourself for three years, <laughs> uh, and, and do whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and since we talked about Mass Effect, I'm going to talk about Star Trek because yeah. we have to. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, like I think. The reason that my favorite Star Trek series is DC S9 is because uh, there's an overarching plot, you know, and the, uh, the especially towards the end, uh, and events keep happening that kind of drive that plot forward. But at the same time, they're talking about character stories, you know, within each of those episodes, like something happens to Cisco or Dax or whatever, like during one episode. But like, it's all kind of uh, colored by the, the overarching uh, plot where you know, Next Generation was more episodic. Uh, and that's say I you know I love both of them, but I like Deep Space Nine better because it has that the the you know events are consequential and they cause changes in the relationships and changes in the characters. And so I don't know that's kind of why I like to see more here is that like like maybe something happened to Kizzy or something happened. I don't you know I don't mean people need to die, but like something needs to be consequential and not just like cool, then <laughs> like move on to the next thing you know. Yeah, I I don't know. I could see it either being next generation like or deep space nine like but yeah i think i think i remember being told by uh people like even if you don't like star trek you'll like deep space nine and i remember going through that first season being like well this is very okay but uh yeah wow. I, I, it, I felt it, it picked up yeah. it changes it the the show changes a lot no, no, i, I did watch yeah. the whole thing eventually and yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was pretty good i, I um, think like deep space nine in the beginning was very next generation like and again I love Next Generation, like, but D Space Nine just had it's like a, a next level to me uh, because it had that overarching plot. Later, you know, once once they get the Defiant, then it like kicks into high gear and like you have like this overarching. I think, I think it plot. took three seasons for that, though, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. The first couple seasons so, are are okay. <laughs> so, so maybe maybe this this could possibly follow that, or 
It could just be a comfortable next generation Mandalorian kind of thing. Maybe. I mean, and that the author's probably into that, right? And that's fine. You know? Yeah, like, it uh, could be. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm afraid of spoilers, so I don't look stuff like this up. But I think I did see somewhere that she wrote something about Star Trek. It, it would be interesting to see what she said, hmm. uh, was good or bad. I mean, this, uh, we mention it, or I mention it every episode, because there's deck. There's definitely like parallels there. Like yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no yeah. way this is not influenced by <laughs> by Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, or or and apparently Mass Effect. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mass Effect itself is just a big pastiche of what was cool yeah. and sci-fi and uh, in 2010 know, or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, any 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 other thoughts? I think we said as much as we can about this short amount of stuff. Yeah, I'll say again, like I not that I didn't like it, I just. I'm eager to, you know, stop stop the wheel spinning and start start the plot moving. All right, thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail dot com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next time for episode five, seven hours, where we will be discussing chapters October twenty five through seven hours of the long way to a small angry planet by Becky Chambers.